Well, hey, in this series, I'm going to share with you part of my journey. I was raised in a Christian home, but it was a very kind of traditional religious Christian home. And I went through a season of my life where I pushed away from that. And I kind of set out to just explore the world and figure out what works. And it actually ended up bringing me full circle. I studied journalism for my undergraduate degree, and then at age 20, I graduated with my BA in journalism, and I started working as a newspaper reporter in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I started essentially uh, studying human life, because I would be assigned one day to profile a professional athlete, and the next day to uh, profile heroin addicts, and so millionaires, billionaires, housewives, everything you can imagine, I had a front row seat to it all. And during it all, I was kind of asking, what is the path of life that leads to real fulfillment? And so we're going to be talking about that in these next four weeks. We'll talk about the ancient evidence about Jesus and uh, things, the way that Jesus has impacted our world. But today I want to talk with you about something that I guarantee you and I have in common, and it's this. We all want to be happy. You want to be happy I want to be happy. We all want to be happy. And I don't just mean that fleeting moment when your team wins the big game and you're like, yes. Or just that one day that you're at Disney World and it's awesome. I mean a lasting, deep fulfillment. Internal fulfillment. I mean inner peace. We all want it and we all chase it in a lot of different ways. Uh, when I was a kid, I was sure about the path to fulfillment. It was a very simple road, anything with four wheels, a car, a truck, a tractor, anything with four wheels was clearly the path to fulfillment. I was so obsessed with cars. Every birthday and Christmas, I would get different die-cast metal model cars. And then as I progressed through elementary, I started getting subscriptions to Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Road and Track, Hot Rod Magazine, Hot Rodder Magazine, Auto Week. These all actually exist. I got them all every month or week. I read them. That's probably how I learned to read. I don't know if I'd be able to read if it wasn't for automotive journalism. I wasn't much of a student in school, but I loved reading those magazines. And I just knew if I can work with cars when I grow up, that's it. I will be fulfilled. So graduated with my journalism degree, and at age 23, I became an editor at a newspaper out there in Scottsdale, Arizona, and as part of my job, I got put in charge of the press fleet. Now, what is the press fleet, you might ask? The press fleet is a motor pool of brand new cars. So Jaguar, BMW, Mercedes, Range Rover, Kia, Porsche, all of them, when they build a new model... They give a certain number uh, of those cars to journalists to drive the cars and write about them. And so that was my job. It was exactly what I dreamed of as a kid. At age 23, I could not rent a car because I wasn't 25, but I could send an email and have a brand new Range Rover delivered to my doorstep. And that was my life. I mean, every week was a different car, and they would deliver it with a full tank of gas. I didn't have to make any payments. I didn't have to do anything. If I wanted it for two or three weeks, I could request that, and then I'd write my column about it, and then I would get the next car. And I loved it. It was an awesome thing, and I love cars to this day. But here's something that I learned during that time. I learned that if I had a really bad day, 
Like if my girlfriend broke up with me and I was just heartbroken and I slid into the leather seat of an AMG Mercedes with a sticker price of $146,000, I learned that I was still sad and it was still a bad day. And I also learned this, that if it was a week where I was testing an entry-level car where you close the door and it sounds like a tin can and it has roll-up windows... In fact, funny little car story here for any car nerds in the room. When the first hybrids came out, um, the hybrid technology was not what it is today. And I was testing in the press fleet the first Honda hybrid. And hybrids, when you stop at a stoplight, the gas engine turns off. Well, Honda had not yet figured out how to keep the air conditioner going when you stop at a stoplight. And in Phoenix in the summer, it can get to like 115 degrees. So I had this Honda, this terrible Honda hybrid, and every time I would stop, the air conditioning would stop, and it was so hot out. Anyhow, I learned that even if I was driving a car like that, but I was having a great day. I had purpose. I had inner fulfillment. I had joy. It didn't really matter that much. I was still happy, and here's what I learned. I got what I had always wanted in life. But I found that I was still thirsty for something more. I got what I thought would fulfill me, and it wasn't a bad thing, and it did make me happy at times, but it didn't give me what I thought it would. I wonder, have you ever felt that way? Can you relate to that at all? That you worked so hard to get the degree or the relationship or the house, and you get it, and it's not bad. It's just not everything you thought it would be. And maybe you thought, Having a baby would make you happy, and instead all it did is make you sleep-deprived. Maybe you thought, you know, that promotion at work, if I get that, then I'm going to be really fulfilled, and you got it, but now you're just more stressed, and you're thinking about work all the time. It's more responsibility. Maybe you thought, oh, the bigger house. If we can get the bigger house, more space for our family, that'll be it, and you got it, and now it's like, it's just a house, and it's actually more space to maintain and clean. Maybe you thought, you know, if I can marry that amazing person, that will be happily ever after. And instead, it's turned out, like all marriages, to be a lot of hard work and a lot of hurt feelings along the way that you weren't expecting. If you live long enough, you'll experience what we all do. This feeling of a lack of fulfillment, even after chasing after fulfillment with all that we have. I wonder... Would you like to discover if there was a way to have an internal fulfillment that goes with you wherever you go in life, that comes from the inside out? If there was an inner peace that lasts, no matter what car you're driving or house you're living in, would you want that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today because this is actually the defining feature of Jesus and his claims when he walked on earth. You see, Jesus, he's a real person. He wasn't made up by churches, and that was actually part of my journey as a journalist. I went all the way back to the beginning, and I know this sounds like a stupid question. Most most of you are smart enough to be like, of course he existed. I did not take that for granted. I was like, what if this guy was made up? And in future weeks, I'll show you the evidence that I found of ancient writers from the time of Jesus who were not Christians, who aren't in the Bible, a Jewish guy named Josephus, Roman guys named Tacitus and Suetonius, and they write about, outside of the Bible and Christians, this Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. 
And in my own journey, after I confirmed, okay, this guy lived, and this guy has clearly impacted history in a big way, and when I did the research into the New Testament writings of Jesus' words, and even learned ancient Greek because I'm such a nerd to say, is this what they actually say? We know what this guy said, and then as I read his words, I realized this guy's outrageous. The things this guy claims, he doesn't claim that he's like Dr. Phil or a good, you know, uh, emotional coach or self-help therapist or guru or teacher. He claims that he's God. He claims that he made you. He claims that he kind of comes from this other dimension and he can give us eternal life. I mean, the things he claims are so big. He puts it this way in John chapter 10. He says, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. I mean, just think about that. This is a real person. Like, is that not kind of a weird thing to say? Could you imagine like being at a party with some friends or maybe you're at a kid's birthday party and you sit down and some guy sits down next to you and you're like, hey, you know, what do you do? And he's like, well, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. I'd be like, Okay, <laughs> you know, like who says that? That is, I mean, unless you're actually God, you've got to be crazy to talk that way. But Jesus claims over and over again that he's this source of fulfillment that never runs out. Here's how he put it in John chapter 4. He said, whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. In other words, he's talking about fulfillment and that anything we taste any pleasure, possession, achievement, accomplishment, relationship, it's good. But then after a few weeks or months, we want some more. and We're still thirsty. He says, I offer to your inner person something that fulfills in a way that nothing else can. Jesus makes these claims over and over again. Here's the question. Are they actually true? I mean, are these audacious claims true? Could Jesus give you lasting fulfillment that nothing else can? Could he give that to you? We're going to consider this today, and in the next three weeks, I'll share ancient evidence. I'll share my story. I essentially spent my late high school years all the way through my 20s going on this journey from rejecting Christianity and then looking at the evidence through a really analytical journalist, nerdy lens, if you will. And as I gathered all my evidence, it kind of fell into three big categories. One category is ancient evidence. And we'll look at some of that in our time together these next weeks. Things like Tacitus and Suetonius and the reality that this guy lived, the reality that the words we have written down in the New Testament attributed to him are reliable. We know what he said. The second column of evidence there is external evidence. That is things outside of me that clearly show the impact of Jesus. For example, every time you're online and you're filling out a form and you have to put in your birthday, your birthday either starts with a 19 or it starts with a 20. And the reason for that is not that humanity's only been around for 2,000 years. We've been around a lot longer than that. Why does our whole calendar have this year zero that's only 2,000 years ago because that's when Jesus was born. I mean, our entire calendar, every time an atheist writes the date, they're acknowledging the impact of Jesus on humanity. 
Did you know that most of us have Sundays off? I don't, but most of you do, okay? <laughs> most of us have Sundays off because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, and his followers would gather to worship on Sundays, and that so affected the foundations of modern civilization that most employers give Sunday off for that reason. I mean, the external evidence of how Jesus has impacted humanity, the reality that out of 7 billion people in the world today, more than 2 billion claim to be a Christian, that's more than one out of three people alive today says, I'm a Christian. That is empirically, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, that is the largest movement of any kind in all of human history. These are just facts that we can look at. And those are facts that led me to say, then what did this guy say? And how does this movement keep growing? And then it's when you get into his words that you face this profound reality. He's claiming to be God. So I can't just say, oh yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a nice guy and good for the people who believe in him. Like, no, he claimed to be God. He said that after everyone dies, eventually we're all going to stand before him and give an account for our life. Like this guy's either a lunatic or he's actually God. There's no middle ground. Well, as a reporter, one of my first stories was uh, to do a whole expose on skydiving in Arizona. Arizona hardly has clouds, and the weather's very warm, and so it is kind of a skydiving mecca. People will come from all around the country to jump out of a plane in Arizona and hopefully not die. My editor, who was a pretty, uh, you know, kind of hardened news person, was like, John, I want you to give the statistical probability of someone, you know, skydives in Arizona, what's their chance of dying? He was like, I want you to get every detail. He said this, and I quote, I want to know how high a body bounces off the ground if the parachute doesn't open. And then he said, and if you're going to do the story right, I want you to go skydiving too. So that's a great, that's a great, you know, one, two together, you know, image of my body bouncing off the ground, go skydiving for, for your work. And what that editor taught me is that every good story kind of has two components. There's the factual component. I could get all the statistics and do a lot of the interviews by phone from my office. But there's a part of a story for a true journalist that you have to go out there and experience it. And this was true with all kinds of investigative stories. Often when I would profile a person, I would sleep on their couch in their living room if they would let me so that I could describe their morning routine. I mean, I, that's sick, I know. I was a total workaholic and a total weirdo, but with crime stories, no, I did not go and commit the crimes. But my editor taught me to have sources in the kind of underbelly of Phoenix there, and if I was doing a story on heroin addiction, I would get into the drug house and describe what it was like in the drug house, or I would ride along with the officers who covered that particular beat. And the point is this, I got to a place in my investigation of Jesus where all my excuses for not believing had been eliminated by the facts. This guy clearly lived. We clearly know what he said. He clearly has impacted the world in a massive way. And now as a reporter interviewing millionaires and heroin addicts, I'm running into these followers of Jesus who seem to have a peace and a fulfillment that everyone else doesn't have. And it got to the point where I realized I've been looking at all the facts, but I'm never going to know if this is true or not until I try it. 
And that's that third column of evidence, if you will. The third column of evidence is what I call experiential evidence. God says in his word, you will seek me and you will find me when you search with all your heart. So you can seek God intellectually. I think there's less of that these days. You can seek him intellectually, and it's all intellectually valid. Um, Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, Johannes Kepler, three of the fathers of modern science, some of the most brilliant minds of history, all three of them were devoted followers of Jesus who write these long poems about their love for God. So you don't have to be intellectually dim to believe in Jesus. It all holds up. Many brilliant people believe today and have throughout history. But your mind can only take you so far. God says you'll seek me and you find me when you search with your heart. And I want to encourage you in these next weeks for yourself to seek God. To seek him with your mind, yes, but especially to seek him with your heart. And maybe you're here and you've kind of gone along with this because of your parents or your spouse or someone else. This is a great opportunity in your life to say, do I believe this? Have I chosen God for myself? And I just want to encourage you with that, to seek him with your heart. Well, there's no way in four weeks that I'll be able to cover all the things that I found in my journey following Jesus. So I have written that into a book called Jesus Skeptic. And that book is available here. Uh, if you're our guest, I've donated copies of those. So at our guest center called Connection Corner, uh, you can go there and that's our gift to you. If you're a regular here, we've got copies at our church library. We've got actually a bunch of resources about investigating your faith. If you ever have doubts, uh, our church library, we've got tons of resources. And then, of course, our pastors are here to help you as well. I'd also encourage you with this series, this is part one. Each week of this series will be posted online, and underneath the message, there's a study guide that you can click on. It's a 96-page in-depth study guide. So if you want to go way deep into this stuff, you definitely can. Uh, but right now, let's think about this question. Can Jesus bring the fulfillment that he promises? And as we ask that, I want to tell you a funny story. It's a story involving my three older brothers. I'm the youngest of four boys, and they beat me up a lot as a kid. And so uh, I have to kind of make fun of them whenever I can, and I'm just going to take this opportunity to do that. Um, I grew up in Michigan, and we'd often go camping up in Canada, and where we went, there was this huge waterfall. Uh, it doesn't look as big in this picture as it seemed as a kid. In some years, it would be bigger depending on uh, the amount of snow melt and, and rain flowing down through that river that's flowing down those stair steps that you see behind me. Uh, but these stair steps go down, and about halfway down the waterfall, there's this pool. We never knew for sure how deep this pool was. We knew that the water would drive down and, and kind of gather there, and then it comes back up, and the waterfall continues down. Well, one day we were at the waterfall, we were having a picnic, we were fishing, and my older brothers, one of them who was particularly athletic, they were all kind of jocks. I did not get the gene, I know, I got the nerd gene instead, okay? But one of them who was really, really fit, uh, he decided to like inch his way across the top. Because right at the top where the water goes over the edge, it looked fairly calm. It looked fairly calm. And so he thought... He thought he could outmuscle the waterfall. And it was really only up to about here. And he got about halfway across and it looked like he was going to make it. I remember looking away and then out of the corner of my eye, seeing a little bit of movement and hearing this kind of whoosh 
noise. And I turned and looked, and he was just gone. And I mean, the waterfall, just like that, it just took him down those stairs. And then he got to that pool about halfway down, and the water just buried him underneath there just pounding down on top of him. So my other brothers, we all run down the sides of the waterfall and we gather around that pool and we're just looking, we're like waiting for his head to pop up. And we're like, we had no idea this thing was so deep because his head is not popping up. And we just keep wondering like, is David, like what's happening? Is he gonna drown in there? What's going on? Now, I'm a youngest. I grew up in a small house and I'll be honest. I was thinking in that moment, if David doesn't pop up, I'm going to get his bedroom. (laughs) It's true. It's true. That's how twisted I am. That's how bad of a person I am. But David popped up, and he was fine, and, and we're great friends to this day. I didn't get his bedroom either. But my older brothers and I, we learned a lesson that day. We learned to never underestimate the power of moving water. When there's a powerful current, it does not matter how strong you are. It's going to carry you where it's going. And it's a great picture because in life, we all get carried along by some current. We all get carried along by different currents. And we often step into a current not realizing where it will take us. All the drug addicts I ever profile as a journalist or now work with as a pastor, none of them started off saying, I'm going to become addicted to these drugs and I'm going to destroy my brain and my career and my family, right? People don't say that, but they think, oh, this, this feels good. And I know other people can't control it, but I can control it. It won't carry me that far. We seek to be happy. We seek to be at peace. But so often, we find ourselves in currents that are taking us out of happiness. Currents that are taking us into anxiety, into unrest. We step into the current of a dream career or a dream car or a dream partner. And it just doesn't take us where we thought it would take us. In my life, I spent a lot of years looking at the current of Jesus in comparison to all the other currents that were out there. And I know this sounds a little nerdy, but I'm a, I just am wired to be analytical. And that was kind of my approach all through college and then through my early 20s was I want to look at where different currents take people. And instead of me just doing whatever's closest to me and feels good, like where do these currents go? And I want to encourage you, if nothing else in this series, to actually be thinking about what current are you in in your life? Are you thinking that material things or possessions or achievements will bring you ultimate fulfillment? And here's, as I kind of studied, I came to this conclusion, I'll never know for sure if the current of Jesus can carry me to fulfillment unless I step into it. I'll never know that for sure. I can stand on the riverbanks and I can criticize the Christians and say, oh, you know, they all need a crutch. They're all weak people. They need this God. I can stand on the riverbanks, but I will never know what it's actually like if Jesus can actually give me peace, give me fulfillment. I'll never know unless I step in. I wonder, could Jesus give you a fulfillment that nothing else can? 
you'll never know unless you try. Could Jesus give to you a peace that goes with you through all the seasons of life? When you're a young person figuring out your identity and who you are and where you fit, and if you're searching for a partner in a career, a peace in all that. A peace when you retire someday and you say, who am I now? A peace someday, which we'll all face when our bodies are worn out and we're breathing our final breaths and that you could have an internal peace that you're just like, this is okay. I know exactly where I'm going. Could God give you that peace through Jesus? You'll never know unless you try it, unless you get into the river. I want to tell you two true stories of people who I had a front row seat in their all-out pursuit of fulfillment. These are two different guys who I spent months documenting their lives. Uh, At this point in my journalism career, when I wrote these two stories, I would spend three to six months on one story, super in-depth. And when I would do a profile on a person, I kid you not, I would visit their childhood home, I would talk to their parents, I would talk to their friends from high school. I'd talk to their ex-wives. I'd talk to their kids, to their business partners. 360-degree view of a person. And within that, I got to come across these two men who had very different ends, but started with the same pursuit that we're all on to just be fulfilled and be happy. This guy on the left, his name is Scott Coles. Scott Coles built a fortune of about $1 billion dollars by the age of 42. Now, if you need a little brush up on your math, here's what a billion is. Uh, Just imagine that I give you a million dollars right now. You're welcome. Come back next week, okay? (laughs) Imagine that you have a million dollars. Multiply that by 100. 100 million. You're set for multiple lifetimes now, you and everyone you love. Now, multiply that by 10. That's how much this guy had amassed at age 42. He had homes in Aspen, Colorado, in San Diego. Really, they were more like compounds. In Phoenix, the wealthy area is around a mountain called Camelback Mountain. Scott Coles bought a big mansion on Camelback Mountain, and then one by one, he bought all the neighboring properties, and he tore down those mansions so he could build an 18-hole golf course in his front yard. I got to see Scott Coles' garage. Yes, that's right. Not just Ferrari, vintage Ferrari. Bentleys, Bugattis, Rolls Royce. Scott Coles had a beautiful wife, healthy kids. Around his late 30s, he decided his beautiful wife wasn't quite good enough for him anymore. He divorced her. He went to Las Vegas, found the prettiest showgirl that he could find, and married her. Everything that a person would pursue to bring them fulfillment or joy or peace, he had and he experienced. And at age 42, in the prime of his life, having everything that people think would bring joy, he intentionally took his own life. And that's why I spent months documenting his entire journey. And as I talked to his childhood friends and his ex-wife and his kids And one after another, they said he was was a, a nice guy. He was a good guy. He wasn't a bad person. It led me to this conclusion. Many roads marked fulfillment turn out to be life devouring dead ends. 
or worse than a dead end. Sometimes they're just a drop off. And how sad, how heartbreaking for a person just like you and me to go all out in the pursuit of fulfillment and be so unfulfilled. I've never been quite the same since seeing firsthand a man who had everything that most people would think brings happiness or at least some sense of security and peace, and yet he was so hopeless that he ended his own life. What a tragedy. I remember thinking at that point in my 20s, okay, if all those things don't work, then clearly the path of material possessions and achievement and relationships and experiences, if I go down that same path, what good is it for me? I'm not going to get nearly a fraction of what this guy got, and it didn't work for him. And it led me as a young person to really ask, what am I really hoping will carry me to fulfillment? I wonder, have you ever asked that of yourself, of your life? I mean, just kind of hit the pause button on all the social media noise and the news media noise and your family drama and your work or school drama. Push the pause on all that. Just zoom out. Look at your life. What are you investing your time and energy in thinking it will bring you fulfillment? Have you ever even identified what it is? I mean, if nothing else in this series, that's a healthy exercise. As I was wrestling with that for my own life, having seen the intellectual evidence of Jesus and his impact on the world, I got assigned to profile another person who had also given pretty much everything he had in the pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. This guy was a Grammy-winning musician, also happened to be a millionaire. His music videos were playing on MTV at the time. I spent three weeks with Brian Welch and his daughter. And in the time, Brian told me about the depths of drug addiction. See, his, his band from high school became an overnight success. And really, when he was still kind of in a high school mentality, all of a sudden, his bank accounts are filling up with millions of dollars. He had started smoking weed in high school, and then as he had access to more and more money and more and more drugs, he tried cocaine, tried heroin, ended up getting addicted to meth. So Brian's band, each of them had their own tour bus, each member of the band. And Brian described his life to me pretty much, he would live in the back of this tour bus, doing meth, watching porn, get out, do a show. And then once the tours would end, he would go to his mansion there in California and he describes this pursuit of just trying everything that could possibly make him happy and becoming more and more depressed. Brian told me the story of a time where he and his wife were both high on meth. They would get in these physical altercations when they were both high. Told me about a time that he looked down at his knuckles and he saw his wife's blood on his knuckles because they were fighting so aggressively while under the influence. He told me about a time where he woke up in the morning. They'd had a, a bunch of musicians over after the Grammys or something, and they had this rager of a party. He wakes up the next morning, and his two-year-old daughter is curled up on a towel at the edge of the pool, which did not have a cover on it, and she had slept there right at the edge of the pool all night. And even with his drug-messed-up brain, he just knew, like, this is not working. Key moment of Brian's life story was an Easter Sunday morning 
where he was still coming down from a high, but he just knew he needed help. And he walked into a church a lot like this in Bakersfield, California. He doesn't remember the whole sermon. He doesn't remember all of it, but he remembers these words of Jesus that were the center of the sermon where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Brian didn't have all his questions answered. He didn't have a big theological statement, but he just chose to give it a try. He chose to say, I've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? And it ended up becoming the pivot of his entire life. Within about three months, Brian, who had been an addict for more than 10 years, was completely sober. He took sole custody of his daughter because his wife was still a drug addict. He separated himself from his band to get out of the party lifestyle. And he completely changed his life. And I remember reading about him and thinking, this isn't true. This guy has to be a fraud. I've worked with enough drug addicts to know you don't be addicted for 10 years to meth and then just like cold turkey, be done with it. So that's why I did the story on him. That's why I spent the time with him. Is this guy for real? And as I spent time with him and his daughter, Jenna, it became so clear, this guy's totally real. He had tasted it all and it left him empty and he came to Jesus, and while he's still kind of broken and messed up, Jesus has given him something that he could not find anywhere else. Brian Welch found in Jesus something that wasn't available anywhere else, and I saw firsthand this contrast. Scott Coles, 42, totally empty, takes his own life. Brian Welch turns to Jesus and finds what he couldn't find anywhere else. There was a time that Brian and I, we were sitting at a P.F. Chang's in Scottsdale, Arizona. We were talking about all this, and he looked across the table to me, and he said this. I had my tape recorder rolling. He said, I had $3 million in cash sitting in the bank, all the cars I wanted, a $200,000 pool. I did not even know that was a thing. Apparently it is. Nannies, the nicest house, real estate in California, and I was miserable. I mean, just think about that. He had it all, and he's miserable. Then he says this, then I found God, and I was like, this is all I've ever wanted. I didn't find what I was looking for in all that stuff. And I just want to encourage you at the beginning of this series, what current are you in? What path are you on? Look at where it leads other people and consider the words that Brian considered where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I wonder, where are you weary? Where are you burdened? Where have you been exhausted in your hunt for fulfillment? Where have you been let down? You can come to Jesus today, maybe for the first time, or maybe for you, it's a return to Jesus. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, John, these are interesting stories, but I don't really relate to a billionaire and I don't really relate to an MTV, you know, musician who's winning Grammys. And if that's the case, I'd let you know, you know, my story is not dramatic like Brian's or Scott's. Uh, I've never been addicted to drugs. I went to college right after high school. I've always held down a good job. Wherever you fall in that whole spectrum, 
I've found that even though my pursuit of fulfillment wasn't as dramatic, that there was something in Jesus that I could not find anywhere else. Let me tell you one more story of a guy who was a very moral guy, a guy who kept all the rules, a guy who was a good boy and a good man, but a skeptic of Jesus. Uh, This is a guy who's historically documented who lived in the times of Jesus, and he had seen Jesus with his own eyes. So he wasn't a skeptic about Jesus' existence. But all these claims to be God and to give fulfillment and to forgive sins and eternal life, he wasn't buying any of that. In fact, he spent a, a lot of his life making fun of Christians and even harming Christians. Then one day he had an encounter with Jesus. And he chose to believe in Jesus as God, and it so changed him that he then spent the rest of his life going around telling people, you've got to give Jesus a try. And I just relate to him, because that's now what I'm doing with my life. If you would have told me 20 or 16 years ago that someday I'd be a pastor, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, that's a terrible way to make a living, if you even can. I liked my press cars, I liked my career, and those are still great things, but I have experienced in Jesus something so real that just like this skeptic I'm about to talk to you about, it's like, I gotta tell other people about this. This is what you're looking for. This guy's name was Saul, and after he encountered Jesus, he became an apostle of the church named Paul, and here's what he wrote in Romans 1 to a church in Rome. He said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? It is the good news that almighty God loves you. He created you from eternity past. And where your sins and mistakes have separated you from him, he came into this world in the person of Jesus and he died on the cross intentionally so he can reconnect you back to himself. That's the gospel. And Paul, who was a skeptic, says, I'm not ashamed of this. Why not? Because it's the very power of God. I'm telling you guys, you can have the power of God in your life. But how do you get it? It's the power of God, and it brings salvation, that is eternal life, to who? To everyone who believes. If you're sitting on the riverbanks just looking, you're not going to feel the power. It's when you get into the river. It's when you believe for yourself, even if you don't have it all figured out. I didn't have it all figured out when I started. But I just said, I'm going to give it a try. God, if you're there, I want to know you. Jesus, if this stuff is real and you can hear me right now, it's all kind of weird, but I want it if it's real. I think some people struggle with becoming a follower of Jesus because they have this impression that to believe, you have to have a fully formed belief, you know, about every single issue and every, all these detailed things. You don't. I mean, think about this in the biological sense. When you're born, you're not like a, a fully mature adult. Could you imagine if you were scrolling through Instagram And like one of your friends who's pregnant, you're scrolling through Instagram and she's holding her new baby and it's like a 48-year-old dude with a beard. And she's like, we're so happy. Right? You, you, You don't come out of the womb like fully mature. And it's the same with your spiritual journey. When you get born again, you just start by saying, God, I need you. And Jesus, I believe you're God. I I believe. Help my unbelief. And he catches you up in his current and he carries you along. And he grows you if you keep seeking him and you mature over the years. So don't let unresolved questions keep you from that first life moment of belief. 
Jesus invites you to find fulfillment and rest in him. That's really the big idea of these passages of scripture we've looked at and of what I've learned in my life journey. No matter what past mistakes you've made, you don't have to clean those up. He'll clean those up. Brian Welch had made some pretty bad mistakes. God has forgiven them all. He's a new creation. He can cover your mistakes. That's the whole point of the cross. But to experience all this, you've got to seek him with your heart. Jeremiah put it this way. You will seek me and find me, God says, if you search with all your heart. By the way, that is a promise from God to you. If you will search with your heart, you will find him. That's a promise. I'm gonna take you back to that simple passage. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. This is what Jesus offers to you. Real guy, really influential, really outrageous claim. Have you ever considered it? Have you ever set foot in that river? You see the fulfillment of Jesus, that fulfillment we've been talking about, it's found in the space between religion and relationship. What I had been raised in and turned away from had some baggage around it. It was a lot of human traditions and Christian and churchy stuff. And when I pushed all that away and went on just a pursuit of who is Jesus himself and what does he say, I found that a lot of the people who had turned me off to Christianity weren't actually doing what he had said anyway. I wonder, have you ever actually from the heart pursued Jesus for yourself, not as a religion, not as an obligation, but as a relationship. Like you made me and I want to know you. So three questions as we wrap up today. First, have you ever really tried this for yourself? Have you ever really tried belief in Jesus? Have you ever set foot in the river to see where it will take you? And if you never have, you can do that today. Second question, have you forgotten Jesus in your search for fulfillment? Whether you've been a believer for years, I have seasons in my life where I'll realize, why am I anxious? Why am I unsettled? Why am I, where'd the fulfillment go? And I realize, oh, I've been looking to something else. It's not always a bad thing. It might be my kids or my wife. Those are great things. Cars are still great things. If I'm looking to those things to give me what only Jesus can, I'm, I'm gonna get restless. Have you forgotten Jesus in your own search for fulfillment? And then the last question I'd ask you is this, would you join me in inviting someone else who needs fulfillment? Whether you're watching online, you can share these messages. If you're here in person, you can invite someone to come with you. Uh, most people in America say they would go to church if someone they knew invited them. This is a great time for us to love the people around us because think about this. Scott Coles, who took his life at age 42 as a billionaire, what if when he was a high school student in Phoenix, one of his classmates had said, hey, Scott, you seem like a smart guy, but can I tell you about Jesus? What if another business person he was doing a deal with said, hey, Scott, this is gonna make you a bunch of money, but can I tell you about something that's even more meaningful? His life could have had the same turn as Brian Welch's life, the same turn that so many of us have experienced. And I just wanna challenge us this week to see our coworkers our neighbors, our relatives, as caught in the current of something, will we love them enough to let them know there is fulfillment available? There's eternal life available. Well, let's pray that 
together now. Father, I see each person in this room and I know there's many more online and over in the chapel. Each one is so beautiful in your sight. From eternity past, you thought each man and woman into existence. We're made in your image and we are so deeply loved by you. God, everyone in this moment is searching fulfillment. And I know they're all at different places in their journeys. But Lord, I just pray that you'd break through the barriers in our minds and in our hearts. Would you reveal to us what we've actually been looking to to fulfill us? Would you give each of us the willpower to turn to you, Jesus? Uh, if you're here and you want to give belief in Jesus a try, then I'd encourage you to just pray after me. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. These simple words, the words aren't magic. It's an expression of your heart to God to say, God, I want you in my life. I need you in my life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again for me. Would you forgive my sins? Would you adopt me into the family of God? Would you set me into the river of life to be carried along in your fulfillment and in your joy? God, as we go from this place, we pray that you'd use us to invite many others into the river. We pray in Jesus' name.